Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 17 of The Bank. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. Um, we're excited because we finally got some football action. If, if you guys want to talk about it or, or read some more about it, um, post about it on a message board, you can check us out at baltimoresportsandlife.com. Um, Gabe and I both right over there. You can catch us both on Twitter. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. He's at Gabe Fergie. Um, got a lot of great content, a lot of good conversations going on over there about lots of great sports stories. So um, check them out. Um, but we're here to talk about the Ravens and um, the first week of training camp. And Gabe, you know, it's like that old famous Chinese proverb of uh, may you live in interesting times, right? And we're, we're complaining about how there's no good football conversation. Nothing's interesting is going on. We don't have preseason games. What's happening? And lo and behold, it looks like we got a storyline on our hands, huh? Yeah, I mean, could not uh, ask for some better, um, I guess, fodder for the media or for the the pundits to talk about, right? So, we, I mean, clearly the, the big news story is, is Earl Thomas getting released by the Ravens after just one year playing in Baltimore. Um, they're, I mean, it was, it was, you know, the report that came out, I guess, Friday that he got into a fight at training camp with Chuck Clark. Um, he got sent home for practice. Uh, there was some immediate chatter that things were not great, um, but it didn't sound like it might be catastrophic and then as more and more information comes out the story gets bigger and bigger uh we started hearing reports that you know thomas has been missing meetings late to meetings there's an issue he, he posted on instagram like a play that had happened during the camp um in which in which the, uh, the fight occurred so like that's a big no-no to post information about you know like plays that are actually being happening in in the training camp because this is you know stuff that the team is working on. You don't want it out there for everybody to see. Um, and then and then we just are in a holding pattern for about, you know, 24 hours until he gets released. And I was surprised. I, w- I was hoping that, you know, they could make things work. Um, I-, I think that it's clearly a big loss for the Ravens in terms of, of personnel. I mean, Thomas, I, th- I mean, we've talked about him this offseason. He, he had a really good year, I thought, as a, as a Raven in his first season. Like, his interception numbers might not have been there, but you know, he kind of did a lot of the small things. Um, and, and I'm not exactly sure what the Ravens are going to do to kind of make up for that. Um, you know, there's some players in the house, but it, it's, it's definitely going to be a change. And I think there isn't nearly the experience that there was last year at the safety position. So it's, it's, going, to, it's going to be an interesting situation the Ravens find themselves in. Yeah, you know, I think the first thing that jumped out at me about this was the leadership council and reading about them saying that they didn't want Thomas or they would be okay with the release or didn't want him welcome back. Um, and it makes me wonder whether or not the Ravens have a little bit of a leadership void right now, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, historically you've had some really big personalities, but also some really great leaders that rallied guys together that came together and, and played together and got over their stuff together. Stuff is not the word I'd usually use, but um, in this case, I think it's appropriate to kind of point to that and say, how did they not get over this, right? Like, like who, we don't really know who's on the leadership council. I think it's crazy that a report got out where a group of guys didn't put their name behind it and basically got a guy run off the team. That really surprises me. Um, and then when you look at the defense, you say, okay, who would be the current voice of leadership? Like if Clayus Campbell was here last year, you know, along with this, maybe he steps in and can smooth this over. And this isn't the kind of thing that happens, but you don't have kind of CJ Mosley here anymore. You don't have Suggs here anymore. Obviously Lewis and Reed are long gone, but you know, those are guys that in these situations would step in and say, Hey, like we can get over this stuff, but it's much more about us winning as a team. Marcus Peters is brand new. Marlon Humphreys is still young. Um, you know, do we have the byproduct of a little bit of just kind of like sour grapes from some young guys that have been given a little bit too much power? I'm not, you know, I, I think that's the extreme of this. Um, but at least on its face to me, it seems like this is very unteamlike to run one guy out when 
it seemed like, and maybe there's a lot more brewing behind the scenes. It seems like there's a lot less to this story than it, than it seems like on its face. Yeah. There's a couple of things to unpack there. Um, and I'll start with the leadership thing. And from, from what I've gathered, I think obviously there is, there is kind of a lack in veteran leadership. Um, you know, the players that the Ravens have that are, have been there for a long time, um, are basically Brandon Williams and Jimmy Smith. Um, neither one of them strike me necessarily as very outspoken leaders. And, and maybe that's not fair for me to say. I don't, I don't know um, if that's true or not, but I haven't heard a lot about them as being like very loud like kind of voices in the locker room. Um, I think one player who is a veteran and a, and a big voice in, um, in the locker room is Anthony Levine. Um, I'm not sure about how... His, what his role in this has been, if it, it is at all, but I think that he's somebody who is definitely respected in the locker room. He's been around for a long time. Um, you know, he's played a lot of different roles in the Ravens defense and special teams, um, and he, he's considered a, he's a captain on the team. So I think he has a he's, he's a leader. Um, and one of the things that I also read was that Chuck Clark is actually big. You know, he's a, he's a young guy, but he's been a very outspoken voice. Um, and clearly, this incident was something that came up between Clark and. And, and Thomas. So I'm not sure if that is uh, related or not. Um, but I do think that there's something that can be said to the fact that the Ravens players didn't care just about Thomas leaving. Like they didn't feel like he was necessary for them to, to like move forward, to win a championship. Like they could have smoothed things over if they're like, yeah, this guy's so talented. We need to have him. That wasn't the case here. So I think that there is an issue that a lot of people had with him, whether it's trust in terms of, you know, assignments. Um, I knew there was some talk about Thomas being a little bit of a freelancer here and there, you know, not actually playing his assigned role, maybe not trusting his teammates to do their jobs and thinking he, he's the guy who needs to step out and like kind of like be the, you know, the guy who makes the play. Um, I, I think that is something that's a concern. And in a defense that is so kind of, um, communication-based and complex as as the Ravens' defense. If someone is out there freelancing and not doing what they're supposed to be doing, you can see a lot of problems come from that. And I, and I get from other players' perspectives. You know, if, you, if they're seeing Thomas do things that is is outside of, of what defense is supposed to be doing, they, they're kind of like, you know, what, what are you doing? You're leaving us out to dry. You know, we're, we have a lot of talent here. We have a lot of good players um, you just need to trust the system, trust the position that we're supposed to be in and let us do our jobs. But if you're going to like put us in bad positions, then you're making us look bad for something that maybe you don't have to be doing. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure if they got that far, but that's kind of the sense that I got. But I'd spin that right back onto the coaching staff. How do you let the, how do you let your players get to this point as well? Like, obviously you know, there's this kind of like, like similar kind of chirping had to have been going on before this. I can't imagine that this one play was the first time it happened. Like you just said, if, if people, if players had a problem with Thomas doing this kind of stuff, there's no way they never said anything to him about this up to this point and didn't do it. And like, how do you not have a little mini truth and reconciliation like committee put together that from a, the coaching perspective to get Thomas and those guys on the same page and like, if he was missing practices and missing meetings and stuff like that, he should have been fined or suspended out of games before this. Like the coaching staff obviously was letting this get out of hand as well. And they, they should have stepped in earlier. I mean, I have a problem with the, the Ravens trying to make a case of conduct detrimental at this point and retroactively pointing back to things that happened that are, that seem like really terrible things, right? Like not showing up to a meeting before a bye week coming back a week, a day late. Those are big things like suspensions, like defines anything should be rendered in these circumstances. Um, and it surprises me that, that none of these things have managed to make their way out. And now all of a sudden Earl Thomas is off the field um, or off the team. Again, not to say that, that anybody has kind of like any, any sense of, of, you know, ill will or anything like that. It's just, I think these guys are really passionate. They get caught up in this stuff and you need an external, you need somebody that can think bigger or think a step beyond some of this kind of stuff. Um, about what can and can't be effective. And it seems to me that there was a lack of that on the Ravens in this instance. Now that doesn't mean that they aren't planning for the future, that this wasn't something that they had to do. This doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong now, but I think that there's an, there, there's clearly some kind of leadership mistake internally 
up to this point that either falls on this leadership council, the players or on the coaching staff from my perspective. Yeah, that, that could be the case, but I mean, I think there, there's also reason to believe that, you know, Thomas hasn't been a very coachable player. You know, he had, he had a difficult time when he was leaving Seattle. I mean, that wasn't something that ended well. Um, players didn't really speak too highly of him necessarily. Um, they didn't really seem to care that much that he was gone. Um, I don't know if, it, if this is just the kind of player that he is. You know, maybe he's, you know, the kind of guy who's just d- doesn't rub people well. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe that's something that there that became worse because of a lack of leadership. Um, I don't know from a coaching perspective how much you can do um, when, you, when you bring in a high-profile player, um, you, you know, has quite the pedigree of, of being one of the one of the elite players of the NFL. Um, I, th- I think you have to kind of treat that situation very delicately um, because you don't want to get off to a bad start right away. You know, I, th- I don't think you can just like necessarily di- start by disciplining a player who has that profile the same way you would discipline someone who doesn't. As, as far as that may seem like it shouldn't be that way, I think that's the way it is a lot of times in NFL. I think players who have the big contract, who have the pedigree, tend to have more of a leash. Um, and, that, and that's probably not the right way of going about things, but um, and I think clearly this way we saw how it could impact the team in a bad way. Um, but I, I don't know exactly how you go about handling that kind of thing. And, and maybe it was just a match that shouldn't have been made to, in the beginning, man, you know, it just wasn't right. a good fit from the beginning. That's possibly what, what we have here. I mean, you know, again, and, and I think the Ravens will are one of the best front offices. I think they're a bunch of very smart guys and they always have a plan. But where was the diligence then on this? You know, if we're going to praise DaCosta and Harbaugh at this point for saying we got to cut ties now because this is so bad, it was it was it was going to get out of hand. It seems as though there'd be some players and some former teammates or some word out there about Earl Thomas being this bad of a teammate um and and this much being the problem you also have a guy who wants to prove it right like he wants to prove that he was run out of seattle for the wrong reasons you can you can motivate him and and move him in ways related to that too um it just strikes me i, I mean this is a lose lose across the board you yeah. know just just on talent field on the field talent alone to start with i think assessments in terms of how the ravens made a decision about this and then we haven't even started to talk about the salary and cap implications which are even if they can get this 10 million guaranteed off the books for 2020 it is still an absolute train wreck in terms of salary cap for what this is going to do to the team yeah i, th- I think that there are some things that i've heard in terms of the the salary cap that aren't as bad as it might be um, there's apparently some pretty considerable offset language in the salary, in the contract, um, which suggests that maybe they did have an idea that things could go badly and there would have to be an, or there could be a, you know, a way to get out of the contract. Um, and basically what that means is if, if another team signs him, then, then you, you get, you don't have to pay for all of the money that you, you lost on the cap. So. I think that um, there might have been some foresight and, and there might have been some idea that this is something that might not actually happen in terms of like staying for the entire um, contract. That's just something I saw on Twitter. I don't know how accurate it was. Yeah, I, I think you. I think my guess is the contracts that have higher guarantee levels probably have more offset language than contracts that don't. I mean, I think that it's easy to say, oh, they they saw this coming, so they wrote it into the contract. But I'm guessing that like Mahomes, for example, probably has significant early offset like language in his contract as well. And it's not that Kansas City doesn't think that they're going to that anything's going to happen. But it's like, look, we're going to front 150 million dollars for you. That's going to be guaranteed against our cap to start with. Like, you got to let us put this offset language in. Um, you're going to take that. Like, any team is going to take that opportunity that they can put that into a contract. We also, there's also, a, I just, yeah. Generally speaking, I think there's a lot of a lot more offset language than we're aware of in contracts these days. Um, you just don't see things. You don't see guys getting cut at this stage of guaranteed dollars. So you don't hear these conversations. Now, maybe they did see it coming. But to me, it just seems like good. I, I would put that offset language in any deal that I was guaranteeing. The, the Ravens basically guaranteed 60% of this deal when Thomas signed it. 
Um, so whether they put the offset language in or not, they, they still need to take some responsibility then for giving him so much guaranteed money when it seemed as though no other team was was even in that ballpark either. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what, what there was out there in terms of competition for Thomas. I think there was definitely some, you know, surprise that he was even available uh, when the Ravens did, you know, decide to sign him. So I think there wasn't quite the market for him, at least at the amount of money that he was looking for. Um, so, yeah, you know, the Ravens just, I think, clearly made a mistake here. I don't think there's any other way to to um, to talk about it. I mean, either you, it was a mistake at the signing or it was a mistake in, in letting him go. But for, for, whatever, for whatever way you want to look at it, there, there, there was mistakes made. Um, I, I, I guess now, you know, the only thing you can do is kind of say, what do the Ravens do moving forward? Um, I think, you know, looking at the cap this year, they did free up some space um, with this move. Uh, this, it's going to be a grievance filed. From what I understand, the Ravens will recoup 60% of this year's salary um, according for this year's cap. So that, that gives the Ravens about $6 million extra in cap space. So they could go out and sign somebody that they weren't thinking about doing. I don't know if that's going to be someone like Jadavian Clowney, um, but you know there still are a good number of, of free agents available at the safety position at, as well as other positions. So I think bringing somebody in is, will make sense. Um, and I also think that you know the Ravens have some options in-house. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens from that end. How does, you know what, I haven't, I haven't seen those numbers. It, it conf- I, I read that somewhere else and it didn't make sense to me just off the bat. I mean, given the amount of guarantees that he had um, and what he got in terms of a roster bonus accelerating it all, even, even if they split it into two years, it seemed to me that anything the Ravens would get back would just be neutral against what they were already giving up. I, don't, I, I didn't kind of get how they were going to so, get $6 million. So the cap hit is going to be split over two seasons. Right. So th- because it's after June 1st, um, the release, a- everything that was paraded after the season is going to be a cap hit next year. So this year, the only thing that's a cap hit would be um, the, the amount that was, I guess, paraded towards this season. Um, and then that's already part of the cap. And then the $10 million base salary, and that's the amount that would come off the cap. But because of the grievance that's going to be filed debating whether or not he was actually committing conduct detrimental to the team that basically gets some of that money gets put on hold 40 percent of it goes um and it is still held against this year's cap 60 percent of that money will then be given to the ravens from this year's cap and then after the grievance is processed which will probably be at the end of the season the ravens will either recoup the rest of it or they'll actually have to pay it towards next year's cap so it's still up in the air what's going to happen with that, assuming you know a grievance does happen. The other things that come into effect here are the offset language. So depending on what that means, it's possible that some, if not all, the base salary could be recouped. Potentially some of the guaranteed money could also be recouped. Um, it just depends on what that language looks like. And then also um, it's possible that the two sides could come to an agreement outside of arbitration in which they both agree to say you get you know, 50% of the salary or 25% of the salary instead of having it grieved all one way or the other. So lots of potential options in terms of how their salary cap happens. We're not ent- entirely sure until all the language of the contract comes out. Has this been something that, um, is there another player that we're familiar that something like that, like, has there ever been contract detrimental to like void guaranteed money um, yeah. that's happened in the NFL before? Last year, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's. Um, and so he, so his cap number ended up being the salary cap or his signing bonus money, and then they like settled with him for like half his salary, right? Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure what it ended up being, but I know Oakland was definitely not on the required to pay the entire like guaranteed money that they had initially given him. Was so, he under a guaranteed contract, or was it was it like a signing bonus that they recouped? Um, I, that I don't have details of. I think some of it was guaranteed. That, that would be my question here, which is that, that uh, I guess my question is, it seems as though everyone seems to think that if the Ravens file and say it's conduct detrimental, that the, the NFL will, will essentially give them what they want in this situation. And, and even if the 60% off is, is beneficial to the Ravens, it still requires the consent of the NFL at, initially, right, to do that. It doesn't seem um, to me to be an automatic trigger that if they don't deem it appropriate, the Ravens still might not be guaranteed to get this. You know, I think, I think it is automatically triggered actually from what my understanding and then it, if it is a grievance then probably i'm sure it will be a grievance filed by the nflpa on behalf of earl thomas 
then it'll go into this situation where it's split 60-40, and, and then basically it goes to, like, you know, some kind of, like, impartial body that will, like, look at all the evidence and determine whose side Interesting. is correct. But that isn't going to happen this season, apparently. It's going to happen after the season, and it will be reflected in the 2021 cap. That strikes me as really interesting, legally speaking, and, and even though we're, <laughs> you know, we're a, a football podcast here, it, it's almost as though you give all of the credence in this instance to the team up front and, and the benefit of the doubt going to the team taking the action, not the and not the person that is being acted upon. Um, and that's like legally just seems really intriguing to me in that sense. Like, but I guess the, the league has set its rules up to benefit its teams more than the players. That's and, definitely and that's true. why you know, why the NFL PA is going to be involved here. But I just, uh, I, th- I think that's kind of generally interesting. But um, if that's the case, that's great. The Ravens should go out and sign Jadavian Clowney <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or go add some talent. But I, I mean, I hope that's how it works out for this year. But look, we've talked about Haloti Nada. We've talked about Ray Rice. We've talked about Joe Flacco. And we've talked about how the Ravens have finally gotten out of that. And even to some extent, Tony Jefferson, right? Gotten out of the mistake of like giving out these, seemingly dumb deals that they end up having to eat and like just really killing them on the salary cap in future years. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it kind of gets under, gets under my skin a little bit when I look at this from the front office's perspective um, of, you know, how they let this deal get to Thomas. Cause we're basically sitting on the same thing, heading into a year where the cap is going to be not advantageous. And we were heading into a year where the Ravens had done such a fantastic job of setting themselves up for that year to be in a great place about it. It almost seemed like a lock that Thomas would be here in 20 and 21. Cause it just, just cause of the way the salary cap looked like it's going to break for next year. Um, and all of a sudden I feel like here we are in the same situation again, where Flacco, you know, it gets cut where rice gets cut, where you just got these monstrous, like back end salary cap things happening. Um, you know, and again, this is not really commentary on anybody. It's just kind of disappointing, especially right in the middle of when Lamar Jackson's in his prime to kind of be on track for a Super Bowl. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing to, um, the way this happened. And I don't, I don't think anybody is coming out of this looking good. Um, but I do think that, you know, the Ravens potentially would have gotten rid of Thomas after 2020 regardless. And it's something we talked a little bit about I think on the message boards, um, you know, he did have like the second highest cap hit on the team. If the if the salary cap is going to take, you know, twenty, thirty million dollar hit, he's one of the obvious players that the Ravens could move on from. Um, and obviously they did move on from him for different reasons, not salary cap purposes. But you know, next year the Ravens will recoup some of the money um, more so than they did this year. I mean, and some of that's going to depend obviously on the grievance that we talked about as well. Um, but moving forward, yeah, that, that's, that's problematic um, to kind of lose the talent. Um, and I think that's what we need to focus on now or yeah. that the Ravens need to focus on. Like, how, how are you going to replace him? Because I don't, honestly, the Ravens didn't really have a true free safety behind Thomas. Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I, I, mean, I think all the chatter has been about Deshaun Elliott. Um, he's probably the, you know, the most suited to play that role as far as players currently on the team, I also think Geno Stone will maybe get some opportunities here. You know, the rookie, uh, what seventh round rookie, we both really like coming out of Iowa. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he's given you know some some looks in the defense. Um, and you know, I've talked all off season about how much I like Brandon Carr. I was disappointed when they released him. I think he's an obvious free agent that the Ravens could go out and get. You know, he's you know has full understanding knowledge of the defense. Um, he actually played a lot of safety last year for the Ravens after. Um, they acquired Marcus Peters. He basically became the Ravens' um, dime safety. Um, he played some in the box. He played some free safety. He played some strong safety. He was kind of like uh, you know jack of all trades in the, in the Ravens' secondary last year. And you know another thing we haven't talked about is the Ravens' lost cornerback Iman Marshall. Um, so bringing in someone like Carr, he could play some cornerback if needed. He can play some safety. He knows the defense. Um, I think that's something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a really interesting question to see how they're going to replace him. Um, you know, on the field, I, I just think this is a, it's a huge drop-off. You know, even if you've got a guy that's going to play his assignments and not leave guys out to try and, and, and not do some of the things that you might thought Earl was a victim to, 
Um, you know, I'm just wondering where they're going to replace that talent level when, when, and, and kind of what he brought to the team. And there were things that, one of the things that I really liked about Thomas was that he was a threat on the field, even when he wasn't. So, you know, you have guys like Thomas and Ed Reed in their histories, um, Troy Palomalu types that can gamble and teams won't burn you on it as much because they know that if you're you they could be being baited or they're a little bit more sensitive to finding certain guys and building plays around them you just took one of the ravens kind of best assets off the field in that regard i mean obviously you still need to worry about really to me it's kind of humphrey and peters now but you've got a much bigger gap in the middle of the field and deshaun elliott is a good player um, if he can stay healthy. But like you said, he's not your true center field free safety. I think Gino Stone maybe is, I mean, he's locked in his roster spot. Um, I think that guarantees that he gets a spot on the roster now. I think he's going to get a real opportunity. I, I would have no problem with bringing Carr back at this point. Um, it's kind of funny that he's already, if they do resign him, that he'll be he'll be on the team as a million dollars in dead salary hit, as well as <laughs> signed under contract for the year. Um, but I'd be totally on board for bringing him on or whoever, you know, Eric Reed is out there. Yeah. There are a couple other safeties that I'd have no problem with the Ravens taking a look at. Um, we're three weeks away from the start of the season, though. You know, even if it's Carr, who would be the most familiar, um, you know, is this is just like, you know, not great timing in that regard either. You're going to have to get somebody kind of looped in and ready to go. And I think that, you know, you're in the locker room and you're looking at, young and smith and peters and humphrey and you're like look you guys are going to be playing more man and you guys better you guys better be ready you know maybe we'll we'll put like we'll do man with like a little bit more cover two shell over the top maybe we'll you know it no matter how you cut it this takes away from the ravens short-term complexity um and potentially even long-term over the duration of the 2020 season um if somebody isn't ready to step up and step into into that role so um you know i think elliot could be a really interesting fit um, and, I, and I think that the Ravens could really use, well, I think they could have used a guy like that more at the safety position last year. I think with Queen and Harrison and the size that they bulked up on the defensive line, I think it matters a little less to have kind of a, a free safety, strong safety, safety hybrid. Um, so I guess Carr would probably be my biggest advocacy here if, if I was picking something as well. But is he ready to play? Is he in shape? Does he even want to play? I mean, my guess is that he could have signed somewhere for the veteran minimum easily up to this point. So is he ready to play and does he want to play? I think would be the big two questions for him. Yeah. those are good questions. He's also older. So um, maybe he was just like ready to, to, you know, call it a career. I don't, I don't know. I I can't speak for him. Um, But you would think that if he is going to come back to play this year, this is, this is an opportunity for him. Um, And clearly, um, I, don't, I mean, I don't think he'll be very expensive. You, you probably come maybe a little more than the veteran minimum, but I think at this point, anybody who's getting signed is outside of maybe like Clowney is not going to get paid a lot of money. It just doesn't make sense to spend a lot of money on someone without able to see what they can do for more than like a couple of weeks. You know, it just doesn't make sense at this point of the season. Um, I do think, like you said, it's, it's going to really affect the way the Ravens play on the back end. Um, they'll probably see a little more too high looks as opposed to kind of like the single high, which I think is something the Ravens tend to do more anyway. They, they don't like to do a lot of single high, but this is definitely going to cut down on that. I think um, I'm a little nervous about seeing, you know, Elliot and Clark as the two starters, just because I feel like they have overlapping skill sets. Uh, I don't think either of them is a really true free safety with a great range. So I think it's really going to, impact the number of ways that the Ravens can deploy their defensive backs. They probably won't see as much dime coverage um, because you don't have necessarily the safeties to do it anymore. Um, and we haven't really talked about Jimmy Smith yet. I'm not sure how he factors into this. You know, the, the Ravens have said all off season that, you know, he's been working as some safety. Um, maybe that role gets expanded. Um, we have heard good things about him. Um, this training camp, he's, you know, he apparently cut down 10 pounds, 12 pounds, and he looks a lot um, swimmer, you know, a little quicker. Um, maybe that gives him some opportunity to fill this void. Um, but that's not something that I feel confident in necessarily. You know, he's played outside corner his entire life. Um, how is he going to come in and transition to a safety at like 31 years old? So there's lots of question marks now. It's not great. <laughs> I, I think that 
the defense is going to have to adapt, and we don't have much time to see how they do it. But I think the Ravens have, you know, somebody at the helm. I mean, in Wink Martindale, who's probably the best you can get in a situation like this because of his creativity. And you know, I think we, they're just going to have to learn um, to to put players into positions and, and work it out as they go. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more cover zero-ish kind of looks with with either staying in cover zero or dropping into like a deep maybe cover three um, that'll utilize three cornerbacks dropping on on all three of the three of those deep levels and whether that's Smith coming in or whether that's Young being able to handle some of that um, playing more in the dime. I mean, it just I, I think that that they'll be fine in terms of how they replace it. I just think that you know. It's ironic to me that they think that they are by getting rid of Thomas, they can because he couldn't handle the complexity of their defense. I think they're taking some of their complexity away. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see if somebody can step up into that spot. I think Gino Stone, from what we saw on film, was a guy that look or what I saw on his film when he was at Iowa um, could be a guy that could really step in if given an opportunity as the free safety type, too. Yeah, and I think that's true. It's always hard to count on a rookie, especially someone who's drafted in the seventh round. Um, I thought that he was someone who I would have more like a third, fourth round grade on. So I, I do think there's talent there, um, but it's just, you know, it's really hard. And, and you know, Elliot is someone who has more experience. He's been on the team for going to his third year now, but he's been hurt. He's only played yep. like, what, yep. like 50 snaps um, <laughs> over two years. So, I mean, you don't really know what you have with him. And, I mean, we, we see players come in and, and they come in and sometimes they they make plays and they're good right from the go. And that could be Elliot, um, but we just don't know. And we kind of just have to wait and see, I guess, because, you know, at this point, it's just conjecture. We, we're not seeing any preseason games. So what do we know? We just, we just know on practice reports. Um, speaking yeah, well, of which, let's, yeah. yeah, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about something that's a little bit more positive. You know, obviously let's, uh, we can jump into, I think the receivers, um, wide receivers, a huge question mark coming in on the Ravens this year. And we're just hearing uh, great things about all three of Boykin, Duver Duvernay and Prochet um, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Boykin finally deciding that he weighs 245 pounds or whatever it is and actually using his size. Um, and then Duvernay and Prochet just, you know, being vacuums with the ball. I don't know if you read any other reports on today's practice at, at, uh, at m apparently those two guys seem to get a case of the dropsies when they got out on the, hmm. the stadium turf. But um, up until then, we've heard great things about all three of those guys. Yeah, I, actually, I hadn't heard about today's situation. Um, but I think throughout training camp, we've heard good things about all three of these wide receivers. And that's very promising because, I mean, you want to talk about Des Bryant real quick? <laughs> I mean, he, oh, came sure. in, yeah. he, he came in for a workout. Um, Clearly, it's something the Ravens have thought about in terms of adding some veteran presence at wide receiver because they are very, um, you know, very young at the position. They have mostly first and second year players. And it's, it, I don't know if it's something that you think is, is great when you're looking at a guy like Des Bryant, but I don't know. I mean, three years ago, he was considered one of the best wide receivers in the league. So I think there's a chance someone like him could come in and you know, fill a void. But personally, I, I think that I would just rather see what the young guys can offer. I have high expectations for all of them. I think all three of them can come in and contribute. Um, and I think I think Boykin is probably poised to be the biggest contributor. He's probably going to be a starter. Um, now, we don't know how much the Ravens are going to be passing this year. Um, I think they're probably going to be passing a little more than they did last year, which means that Boykin could be in line for a sizable workload. Um, it's hard to say about the rookies. I think DuVernay might have a, a larger role, um, but I think they both really demonstrated that they can go out and make plays. And, and that's what the Ravens did when they drafted them. That's what they were looking for. They wanted guys who could be playmakers for Lamar. And they want guys who are more consistent and reliable than what they've had. Um, and I think that whether or not we see it like right out the gate, I do think we're going to see all three of these players contribute at some point this season. Yeah, I, you know, and the Ravens' schedule right to start the year tells me that I think we might see a little bit more passing than we might have thought. Um, obviously, you've got an interconference game right off the bat with Cleveland. I think, to me, there's a lot that says that the Ravens are going to need to air the ball out. I think it's going to be a tougher game than they might thought. Um, it's great that it's a home game. I think that's going to make it, you know, take that travel away and, like, add that component 
especially at the start of kind of what is going to be a weird season, I think is a big asset. But then you've got Houston and Kansas City right on their heels. I think those are going to be potentially much more on the higher scoring side. Um, and we're going to need to see these guys, especially in those first three weeks, really step it up. I think the schedule lightens a little bit after that with um, the Washington football team and Cincinnati. Um, so that we could go back to a little bit more running, but we're going to need to see it right away from these guys. And, you know, one of the things that I really like that we've heard about kind of Prochet is that he's been really crisp in and out of his routes. Duvarney has supposedly been really fast up the field. The Ravens should be able to make a really good assessment on these guys and be able to make some pretty clear decisions about what and how they can fit into the offensive scheme of, of what they're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, and I think a lot is going to depend on the personnel usage that the Ravens tend to go with. You know, last year we saw them a lot with two tight ends, two running backs, um, sometimes three tight ends. Um, maybe they're going to be really um, truthful about this this change that they want to make to, you know, a more wide receiver-centered offense, you know, more more of a passing game, more vertical. Um, and, and that requires getting more out of their wide receivers. Like, you, you can't be a, a passing game that you want to have if – like in terms of like getting vertical, if you're not going to be using the wide receivers more because everything can't be Marquise Brown. Like he's going to be the guy who's going to get a lot of coverage attention. Um, and I think you need these secondary receivers to step up and there's going to be opportunities for them because if you, if you have teams, you know, focusing on guys like Brown, like guys like Mark Andrews, then you, these guys are going to have opportunities. They're going to be open and, you know, if they can make plays, then they're going to become targets that Lamar Jackson has trust in. And once you start building that rapport in game, then I think we're just going to see more and more of these connections with these young guys. And I think that's exactly what we want to see from Lamar and from the offense in general. So let's talk about the guys that are going to be blocking for Lamar when he's passing that ball down the field. I think DJ Fluker is a name that that we're hearing a lot about um, as we head into this preseason. And apparently he's gotten in ridiculously great shape, which is awesome to hear. It's nice to to know when a guy's got, you know, the motivation to really pull himself together. He's from a pedigree standpoint, he was a top 15 pick in, in a draft, um, you know, well-regarded coming out of school, um, built as a tackle now playing guard, you add in some kind of like more athletic profile to that. And maybe the drop off from Marshall Yonda isn't going to be as rough. You've got, um, Scurrow taking part in team drills now for the first time, um, on, I think it was Friday or Saturday of this last week. So, you know, I'm feeling better about the offensive line at right, right this particular moment. Yeah, I do. I do too. Um, you know, everything I've heard about Skura is they're they're taking him very slowly. Um, I think he just started to see his actual first reps um, this week, so I think that makes sense. You don't want to put too much stress on him too quickly. You want to get him up to speed um, because I think there is a difference between you know being in shape and then being in like football shape. So and it. I know he's worked his tail off this offseason, um, and, and I think that's going to be paying dividends for the Ravens as, as the season goes on. And I, I still think there's a very good chance that he's the week one starter at center. You mentioned Fluker. Um, I, I didn't know the kind of offseason that he put in, but it's incredibly impressive. You know, th- there were reports that he was you know pushing 400 pounds at some point um, before he decided to kind of get his life turned around, and, you know, he dropped, like, 70 pounds, 60, 70 pounds, cut his body fat in half. Um, and I think, you know, he's a guy who's kind of had an up and down NFL career. He's bounced around a little bit. Um, he moved from tackle to guard. And I think this might be an opportunity for him to really, you know, resurrect his career. And and I, he's not going to be Marshall Yonda. Nobody is going to be Marshall Yonda. Um, but I think that the Ravens might have struck gold in finding somebody here who is kind of looking to prove himself. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, regard him as a little bit of a draft bust. He was a very high pick out of Alabama, and he never kind of lived up to the hype. He's always been a huge individual. Um, but now I think that we actually have an opportunity to see him at his best um, in, a, in a system that's going to really work for him. Um, he's, he can be a mauler, I think, in this in this offense. Um, and, you know, he's not going to be expected to be pass walking on an island as an offensive tackle. So I, I think... He's someone that the Ravens are going to really count on. Um, I, honestly, I don't think there's much of a question that he's going to be the starting right guard at this point. Um, you know, the Ravens are going to say there's other players that they're going to give opportunities to, um, whether that's, you know, Tyree Phillips, um, who I think has a chance to be, you know, good down the road. I think he's probably 
some of the Ravens might look to be the guard of the future. Um, but, you know, they have a lot of options for that, too. So I think I think right now he's the guy, and I'm pretty confident in his ability. So I, I'm happy with the offensive line, much more so than I was earlier on in the offseason. Um, the one big question that I still have at this point is probably um, the backup tackle, because that is still probably the biggest question mark. Um, if something were to happen to Brown or something were to happen to Ronnie Stanley, then you're looking at, I guess, Tyree Phillips probably being the, the first guy to get some reps at OT, and that's not something that I think is ideal. Um, but then again, you know, the Ravens had James Hurst as a backup for the past five years, so that was never an ideal situation either. Um, and you just kind of hope that the Ravens are, are smart about it. You know, they'll, they'll do the protections the right way. But I, at this point, it, the roster is what it is. I don't think you're bringing in anyone to play that backup offensive tackle position. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that all sounds about right. And I like the Ravens' depth, kind of, of, of what they've got. Otherwise, it's nice to have, you know, a combination of Makari, Breedson, Phillips, and um, Powers all right there if you need them. Um, you know, you hope that Fluker can swing out to tackle or that Phillips is ready. But I think that I think, I think they are a, a, a short a few options there with um, Andre Smith going down. Um or he opted out, right? Is that, yeah, he opted is that, out. Yeah, he opted out. Yeah, so so he won't be coming back. So, you know, at this point, you kind of got to, you know, it's the same issue as we've got with Thomas, which is it'd be nice to bring somebody in. But in, in many ways, I think you're rolling with what you've got. You're scouring the practice squads and, and bringing in who you can. Um, but those guys will also be blocking for J.K. Dobbins. And, you know, by all accounts, he's the name that I think maybe consistently gets the most recognition in terms of guys that are reporting on practice. You know, here and there, you'll hear, hear Hollywood Brown had the best day today. Prochet had the best day today. Duvernay had the best day today. But every day, J.K. Dobbins seems to be a guy that somebody's talking about. Yeah, and, and that's exciting. Um, I think that's what you want to hear when you invest a high draft pick in, in, a, in a player like Dobbins. Um, honestly, I, I think he's going to – I don't know at what point, but I think he's going to be the starter at some point this season. I think he's going to – and maybe not starter in name, but I think he's going to be the person who gets the bulk of the touches at the running back position. And he may not be the guy who's in there in like the third and shorts or, you know, goal line. At, um, but I think that he's going to get probably close to 200 touches um, in the run game this year. Maybe, maybe even more than that. Um, I just think he's, there's too much upside with him, um, especially in this, in this running offense where you have holes that are just wide open that, that, running backs and take advantage of. And what we've seen in the past is we have a lot of large gains coming from the running back position, but we haven't had the home runs. We haven't had the long touchdowns. Um, and that's because the running backs that the Ravens have had aren't necessarily the home run hitters. And I think Dobbins has 4-4 speed, and he can take these you know, 20, 30, 40-yard gains and turn them into touchdowns. And I think that might be something, that an added dimension to the Ravens' offense this year that they, they've missed in the past two years. Because before it's been, it's basically been Lamar Jackson who's been kind of these, the guy who can maybe take one all the way to the house, um, but now I think there's another guy in the backfield who can do that. And and you, you know your favorite player in the world, Justice Hill, also um, there's been some good talk about he's probably not going to get as many looks as the other running backs in the backfield, but I think he's another guy who can be a weapon on, on third downs. So between between Hill between Dobbins, um, you know I think the Ravens have have more than enough offensive weapons, and you know obviously the wide receivers that we talked about to kind of just keep rolling offensively, and they're going to be a team that's going to be putting up thirty points a game, and and it's just going to be kind of is the defense now that Thomas is not part of it, is it is this going to be able to still be the the force that we um, had hoped that it would be? Yeah, you know the only thing I mean I totally agree with everything you just said, but. You know, I don't know how you go through an entire segment talking about running backs and don't don't mention Mark Ingram. I think you're I think there's a little bit of sleeping going on by the media um, and in kind of the public in public about what we're hearing about the Ravens running game. But Mark Ingram was a huge part of the Ravens running game success last year. And he did break off. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't scoring touchdowns on some of those long runs, but consistently had 20, 30, 40 plus yard runs when when the seams and the holes were there for him to be able to take them. Um, strong burst, stayed healthy, 15 touchdowns passing and receiving last year. Um, the only reason why I don't think Dobbins is going to have a bulk of those is because I think Ingram is is tuned up for a really good year as well. Um, 
the only thing that I think could take away a little bit more of his snaps are um, Dobbins being a good at the mesh point as Ingram was. I think the really un- quietly underrated part about Ingram is that he and Jackson have a really good trust and a really good read on on what they're looking at. And so mesh point is not just about doing it right and the technical part of it, which Edwards seemed to be not very good at. And I think that's why the Ravens didn't have a ton of trust in him at times. Um, but also I think Jackson and Edwards see the, or um, Ingram see the field the same way. And that also makes it just a little bit easier to kind of hand off or not hand off or do those things. Um, and, I, and I think that with another year under their belt, those two guys are going to be even a little bit better together in that regard. And I think it, you know, unless Dobbins is, and I guess I don't know how much read option um, Ohio State was running. I think that there'd be some sense that Ingram is going to have a step up there. And I think that he's just stayed fresh all his career, never had 300 carries in the NFL, um, always always been kind of a light load-ish guy. Um, and I think, I think he's going to have a big year too. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think Ingram is still going to be, uh, you know, a major part of the offense. I didn't, and I didn't mean to say that he wouldn't be. I, I know I, I mentioned Justice Hill, um, but only because I think he's kind of the more explosive option in, in the backfield. But I think, like, like, like we both said, you know, Ingram was, was, very, was very good last year. He was consistently getting these large chunk yards. But I don't know if he was able to turn those large chunk yards into the long touchdowns that I think Dobbins could do. Um, so I think that you know, Ingram is probably going to see a similar number of touches that, you know, the Dobbins is. I think it's probably going to be close to a 50-50 split. I think the person who's going to suffer in terms of touches is Edwards, um, just because, you know, he, and he's a good running back too. Like, I don't, I don't want to take away from, like, his ability, but I, I don't, he doesn't have the explosiveness, and I don't know if you said he's not quite as, as comfortable at the mesh point, I think, as, as Ingram is with Jackson, and, and you're 100% right that that is a huge part of of that kind of chemistry that's, that goes beyond just, um, you know, knowing like the play and knowing, uh, um, you know, how, where to go with the ball, but it's also kind of selling that fake and, and being able to hold that ball fake for so long that the defense really doesn't know which way the ball is going to go. Well, and, and just to put it in context, I guess the only reason that I said that you were sleeping on Ingram is because you said Dobbins was going to have, Oh, you might've said touches, but there were only 300 carries to go around for running backs for Ravens. Um, Ravens running backs last year. Um, so even though they run the ball a ton, Jackson's still going to be, yeah. I, I don't think we're going to see a huge decrease in that. Maybe, maybe 300 ticks up to 350. Um, but there just aren't, you know, I think Ingram's going to have 200 carries again this year. Um, and so where the remainder of that split goes, I think will be interesting. I think, I think Hill is actually the bigger loser of um, Dobbins touches only because they profile a little bit more similarly. I think Edwards is going to be much more early down, longer distance, like kind of potential options or like short, very short yardage, but like in like later long and down in distances, um, Dobbins, I think is going to take opportunities that Hill was going to get taken away from him. And then the junk time touches that were going to Hill last year, I think those are going to go away too. So Hill's going to have a really, I think of anybody that has to prove himself early when he gets touches, it's going to be him or his role is going to go from already pretty small to non-existent, I think. I think, you know, there's a chance that Edwards isn't on the team. If, if somebody, you know, it was kind of something that was just mentioned in, in, the, in our message boards that he's a potential guy who could get traded. And I, I could see that happening. If, if the Ravens have confidence in Dobbins as, as someone who they can, you know, rely on as essentially like a, a 1B to Ingram's 1A, um, there's, there's really no need to carry three running backs on this team. Um, but, you know, maybe that's something that they just want to have that depth of that position. I yeah, I mean, I can't players. imagine. I'd be stunned if the Ravens trade any of their running backs at this point and don't carry four heading into the year. I think the Ravens really missed Ingram in the Titans game, um, and I think that that's going to stick with them in terms of wanting guys that can play in the system, have multiple roles, and like be ready to step in and play in those situations. Um, and and even if Ingram were to go down for an extended period, then the Ravens would be really happy to have Dobbins, Edwards, and Hill. They're they're going to want to be able to have three healthy running backs on on the active roster in any given game. Um, I think the question of whether or not Edwards or Hill won't be active is a very real one. Um, And we'll find out who's at the bottom of the pile there in terms of losing spots early, because, um, you know, when when you got to cut those eight guys down, um, it's hard to see without any of them playing on special teams, the Ravens carrying all four running backs every week. Yeah, I I don't know. I I just think that with the, you know how how precious roster spots are 
And if you if you already have two guys you consider like starting caliber running backs and another player you really like as a third down kind of option, it it just seems like a little extraneous to carry a fourth running back. But yeah, well, I've written a little bit, and you guys should check it out if you're listening here about the Ravens' 53-man roster. But the Ravens' roster is actually not that squeezed right now. I mean, in, in terms of who they're going to lose. Um, I don't think that the Ravens are at risk of losing anybody that's not going to make it to the practice squad at this point, and especially with Thomas off the roster outright. I just don't see there being a roster squeeze. I also don't see there being a trade market for Gus Edwards. I mean, I think he he carries a unique value to the Ravens and a team that runs the ball heavily, but he was a guy that was on the practice squad a couple years ago. Um, You know, I I don't see there being a team that's going to give – anything more than a seventh round pick for him at this point. And I think he's got way more value to the Ravens than he does to any other team, which is why I don't think they'll trade him. So not to say that he's not valuable or other teams wouldn't want him if he was cut. I just don't see how another team's going to give up, give something like that up. Well, I think he would be better on the Ravens than he would be on another team. I agree with that, but I don't think he has more value because the Ravens, I mean, how, how much do you value your fourth running back? And maybe he's, maybe he's your third running back, but like in terms of what the Ravens required, I don't, I'm not sure he, he's someone who really fits into their plans. I don't think he fits into their long-term plans. Obviously, where they wouldn't have, you know, drafted Dobbins in the second round. There's a potential that he's, you know, on his last year with the team. Um, well, you got a little post hoc ergo propter hoc there, right? Which is that just because the Ravens drafted Dobbins doesn't mean that Edwards wasn't at that point in their long-term plan. So you got just because it happened afterwards doesn't mean that they didn't want him. It's just the value on Dobbins was so valuable that they couldn't pass it up. I think, I, I, I don't, I think you're looking, people can look a little bit too far into that, but I think that Edwards carries more value to the Ravens in the sense that they run the ball more than any other team, right? They're, they're a team that is going to continue to want to run the ball in those situations. Whereas I think a lot of, you, you just don't have another team out there that, that cares about running the ball as much. So in the sense that the Ravens value running backs more than any other team, that's I guess that's why I say they value Edwards more than any other team. It's more the position than the guy. Yeah, that, that might be true. I, I agree with. I, I mean, I agree with that. That the Ravens do value the running back position more than most teams. Um, but I think there's a lot of teams who don't have a single running back who's as potentially as good as Gus Edwards. Um, so I, I do think there could potentially be a market. I mean, I don't think he would be someone who the, would fetch more than like you know probably a day three pick. But if that's something that you could get for a player who's probably going to touch the ball 50 to 75 times. I, I don't know. I, I, th- I see that as, as a good return for the Ravens. So, But I'd be stunned if the Ravens haven't shopped Edwards. If the Ravens could get a fifth or better round pick for Edwards, they would take it in a heartbeat, and I'd be okay with that. I, and But I can't imagine the Ravens haven't called every single team and offered him for that already. Um so, so I, I, you know, I think that the, you're going to see something like that's going to require an injury to a high-end starter at, on a high-caliber team that needs to be able to run the ball to win that has an injury that happens in the next three weeks. Otherwise, I think the idea that a trade would happen now and it wouldn't have happened sooner um, just kind of surprised. I, I just, I, I think it's un, super unlikely. It's, it's optimistic that the, the Ravens could trade a, get a fourth for Edwards, and I'd be more than happy if that happened. And dumb things happen because the Minnesota Vikings traded for Vedvik and and gave up a fourth for that. So, um, you know, NFL GMs have been stupider than than I'm giving them credit for before. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and like, it's hard to say. Like, I don't know what the trade market will look like this year because normally trades do tend to happen. Like as as at the end of the off season because, you know, players get, you know, some exposure, um, and, and like preseason and stuff like that. And, and teams notice that. So sometimes these trades will happen this time of year. Obviously we don't have preseason this year, so that is maybe less likely to happen. Um, well, and in that sense, it gives Edwards a little bit more value though, right? Cause there's more film out there and there's more established tape on, on who he is. So like, you know, instead of, you know, signing, um, Smoke Bazell off the Ravens practice squad like we happened happened a few years ago. Maybe a team like that um, that wants to make a take a take a shot at it does go after a guy like Edwards. Um, but you know who, who like I, like you were saying. You know I also think draft future draft picks or draft picks for next year should be in theory significantly more valuable to teams right now because there's going to be less cap space. And if the salary cap minimum is or maximum is 175 million next year, everybody's going to want every single pick they can get their hands on because they're not going to be able to fill out their rosters otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is true, and there's also the fact that there's probably not going to be a college season this year. So, 
draft well, that devalues, right? Well, I mean, it devalues it, and, and, and but could be the other way around because teams are going to be drafting players and maybe not knowing what they're getting out of them. So the more draft picks you have, you know, the better chance you have of, of landing somebody who, who's going to stick around. I think. It's well, that's <laughs> always been the case with the NFL draft, except NFL teams have, for whatever reason, decided that their talent evaluation, which has never worked up to that point in in their history, is is more valuable than pick numbers. I mean, that's what makes the Ravens successful. They always say more picks is more valuable yeah. than less picks. And yet, for some reason, there are only a very small handful of teams that follow suit in the NFL. Yeah, well, I, I think that in general is the case because you get, I mean, the, the draft is always a bit of a gamble. You just get more darts to throw and, and there's a higher chance that some of them will, will land. No, um, no, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, we say that because we're Ravens fans and we've been born and bred that way, right? And we see them doing that, but teams just, I mean, the Vikings giving away a pick for a kicker that, you know, never really meaningfully kicked, you know, it's just like, and stuff like that happens all the time, you know? So anyway, I, I see your point though, that definitely more picks is always better. Um, and maybe this does finally, this does finally change the paradigm for some teams, but you know, it all comes down to COVID, right? And what is going to happen at this upcoming season? You know, we're three weeks away from the start of the season. So, you know, why don't you think, you think it's going to happen? Let's wrap up talking a little bit about the start of the year, which we're, not that far away from right now. Yeah, I've kind of gone up and down in what I think is going to happen. Uh, but right now, it, I I don't see any way that the season doesn't happen according to plan. At least it starts. And it may yeah. be that once teams you know are, are playing and they're traveling, um, it, it gets trickier. Um, but as of right now, you know, aside from these, it looks like there might have been a a rash of false positives that happened um, that kind of came out in the news today. Um, like teams seem to be doing a pretty good job of, of, of you know, not having lots of positive cases. They're, they're keeping their players safe. Um, there haven't been any, like, outbreaks of note or, or any at all. Um, so I think that's positive. Um, my worry is that once the season gets going and some of these teams start losing, the players get less um, invested in the season potentially, on especially on losing teams. Um, and then, you know, are they still going to be as, as strict with their – with their habits as they might be for a team that, you know, has a chance to win the Super Bowl. So that's kind of my concern is they're going to be a, a team that's, you know, 0-6 that's going to derail their season by, you know, everybody like going out and, you know, you know getting sick together. I, I mean, I certainly hope that's not the case. I think that's within the realm of possibility, though. So um, I think the season's going to start on time. I think we'll see, you know, a normal few weeks, and then uh, it's hard to say what happens after that. Yeah, I never really thought about it from that perspective of the lazy teams or the teams that are out of it being stupid, <laughs> for lack I mean, of a better term. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just that's just me like speculating, but yeah, I, no, I, I can I, I see think it's it something that could happen. I see it. I, I just um, didn't think of it, but I totally could see it. You know, and I, I also wonder whether or not. I mean, I assume that we're getting real-time data that there haven't been any new players that have been diagnosed, but also at the same time, I don't trust these teams and I don't trust the NFL to be honest about what's happening. Um, you know, like if there was, if there was a Ravens play, like if Lamar Jackson had COVID right now, and that's the real reason he's not practicing, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And I don't think that's the case, but it wouldn't surprise me at all that they say the reason he's out is a tired arm. I do think, I mean, they have the, the COVID reserve list that players are put on. So they've been, I mean, maybe they're not required to do that. I don't. I don't know. I'm not but sure. But exactly. I don't think since training camp has started, any player has been placed on that list yeah. that has had COVID. Yeah. So, so maybe maybe you're right. It's a it's a giant like cover. <laughs> well, I'm not saying it's a you know I'm not saying it is a giant cover. I'm just saying I don't trust NFL teams when it comes to injuries yeah. and health status of players, and I don't trust the NFL to be honest with us about the risks that face the players um, in order to put a product on the field because they have a long-standing history of lying to us about that too. <laughs> so real quick, you mentioned Lamar Jackson. Um, he's missed practice a couple times. Are you concerned about that at all? Is that something that no, raises no, an no. eyebrow? Not even in the least. I mean, they're saying he just needs to rest his throwing arm. I mean, he's been doing it all up to this point. He's All the reports have been really good about what he's done on the field. We haven't heard about any hits. They haven't said it's a leg injury. As soon as it's a leg injury, then I'll worry. Yeah, I mean, I assume it is it is an arm thing. You know, Harbaugh said today it was soft tissue related. Um, so I don't know if that's just like shoulder soreness, elbow soreness. You know, hopefully he doesn't go down the Ben Roethlisberger route this year. That would be terrible. Um I think, I mean, obviously, at this part of the season, there's no point in putting players at risk if there's any discomfort. You just you just don't want to take that chance. So 
I think certainly not guys that. Yeah, exactly. Lamar also is young, but knows the system now. He knows what he's looking at. He knows what he's working with. Like being able to throw for the last two weeks or week and a half with with his receivers is are all pluses. Um, Even if he were to miss the entire next week, and I don't anticipate that, and I certainly don't hope that happens. I, I won't even be concerned that if it bleeds into a second week, then I'll, then I'll start to get worried. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's fair. Once we get like within, you know, a week, a week and a half of the season and he's still not practicing, then you're like, Hmm, there's something yeah. here that's legit. And then you're, then you're like, Oh my goodness, what happened to this season? <laughs> maybe, maybe if we were even two days in the future and this was the fourth day that he wasn't practicing, mm-hmm. my, my concern level might even be, might be even ratcheted up a notch a little too. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I mean, so far the Ravens have been pretty fortunate with the with the injuries. I haven't been a lot of injuries around the league. There have been a few players that have gone down. Um, Marshall is the only guy that's has been lost for the season already. Um, hopefully, you know they keep it safe. Um, I, I think there's always a concern when you don't have as much of a build up for a season as as what the Ravens the whole NFL has had. So I think once week one happens, I think all bets are off in terms of injuries. Once everybody's like going 100, percent you know, there's no like pulling up on a on a play um the contact starts the hits start coming um i think we're going to see more injuries than normal in the first couple of weeks and that's unfortunate um but i think that's the reality of having this this weird kind of off season um, yeah but, i think week one is going to be every time a guy goes down in week one i'm going to be holding my breath on yeah. on any team i think i think we're at risk of i mean it's just going to look a little different but i mean three weeks away we're we're really close to the start of the nfl season Hopefully everything goes off without a hitch. There aren't any problems. The Ravens, you know, go 16 and 0 like anticipated, and um, we're on track for a great year. But it's it's been a fun one to start. We've got plenty to keep talking about, so we'll keep an eye on these um, training camp practices and the reports that we hear coming out of those. Um, we'll be back here with you guys next week. Um, I'm Jordan Coe. Um, this is Gabe Burgess, my co-host. You guys can check us out at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com or on Twitter. I'm at BSL Jordan Coe. He's at Gabe Fergie. Um, I hope to hear from you guys in either of those spots.